Lamping here, PHRA's Executive Director. Welcome to P4, People, Purpose, Passion, Pittsburgh. P4 is brought to you by our members and sponsors, Latitude and the University of Pittsburgh Executive MBA Programs and Center for Executive Education. We appreciate their support and we will hear from them throughout the podcast, beginning with the University of Pittsburgh Executive MBA Programs and Center for Executive Education. Especially in times of uncertainty and challenge, America needs exceptional leaders to guide our healthcare institutions. The highly ranked executive MBA in healthcare at the Joseph M. Katz Graduate School of Business at the University of Pittsburgh is designed to empower and enable leaders to think critically, make informed decisions, and inspire confidence. Forge your path into healthcare innovation by visiting business.pit.edu slash EMBA healthcare. In this episode, Michael Couch will discuss how culture, engaging and retaining talent, and building your network should be your focus in 2023. All right. Good morning, Michael. Uh, it's exciting to be chatting with you uh, virtually for this session of P4. And I'm particularly pumped to dig into the aspects of culture and your experiences around how work has changed and how we can really invest in our people. So without further ado, Michael Couch, welcome to this episode of P4. Thanks, Pete. Great to be here. Great to be here with you. Always look forward to connecting with you. The uh, You're the connecting genius, so this is a great opportunity. Genius is a strong word, uh, especially <laughs> coming from you, but hey, I'll, I'll take what I can get. Yep. Hey, we start each one of these off, Michael, with a little bit of your background and your journey into this HR space. Not everybody had a degree in HR. Not everybody knew that HR could be so fun and cool. Um, so if you could start off just sharing a little bit about that, please. Yeah, so my I have a weird background, industrial and organizational psychology. There's a few of us in in the HR realm, but uh, you know that gave me an opportunity to work in a whole range of things, you know, throughout my uh, business career, and then uh, had the opportunity to start my own practice whew, 15 years ago or so, and I've worked with you know 50, 60, 70 clients uh, in the mean, uh, you know, during that. And what I like to do is help companies grow. And uh, the evidence and the work that I've done over all those years is there's two key things to really assuring that you that you can uh, you can grow your business, you know, establish and grow your business. And first is having a a, a clear and aligned culture, uh, you know, that that you can leverage uh, in, in, to drive whatever results you're looking for. And the second is having a you know is around strategy driven leaders and having a strong pipeline that can sustain and drive the strategy or business so that's where i spend uh, almost all my time right now in those uh, two areas around uh, leveraging and advancing culture understanding culture and then around uh, strategy driven leadership development nice what did you do before you started your consulting practice so i worked uh, in manufacturing um, I worked uh, in a whole range of human resource uh, functions, you know, from compensation through uh, mostly on the organization development, leadership development area. Uh, but I eventually, uh, you know, moved out of that and ran a, for a small manufacturing business. I ran a business unit, uh, started up a, a new uh, a, a, a business unit so that focused on uh, OEM, uh, original equipment manufacturers, and then uh, then moved into operations and, and headed up operations for a small manufacturing business. That business got sold. Uh, some of the leaders moved on, and that, that gave me an opportunity to start my own business. Pretty cool. And then where where did you go to school, and what were the different degrees along the way, just so everybody can can hear? Yeah, but uh, started out in uh, at Grove City College way back when, and 
in uh, in psych, and then I got my got my advanced degree from the University of Akron in industrial and organizational psych. So. Yeah, go. Uh, what's Akron? The, the the Utes or the Zips? Are they the Zips? The Zips. You know, and it, funny, I went there for you know for all those years, and I didn't even know that they had a mascot. So, you know, <laughs> when you're in graduate school, you're sort of heads down and don't pay attention to those kinds of things. So yes, now I know they are the Zips. Where that so came you from? Might have, don't ask. You might have been head heads heads down on the Zips then, but you're not heads down on any of the trends that are facing the this HR world in this space. So share, you know, one or two of the top trends that are like very different and impacting everybody today versus, you know, beyond three years ago. Well, yeah, as you said, you know, there's there's quite a range. And, we, you know, we've done our own podcast where we've talked with about 60 executives and we're exploring this area. And, uh, you know, what we're finding is, uh, you know, the importance of culture. Uh, even more uh, than in the past, because you could you could sort of be unintentional about building culture and uh, that will help drive business, and that would be okay. But now they really need to be intentional about uh, building, uh, understanding, and leveraging your organizational culture. It makes a big difference. Uh, we found that the organizations that had done that prior to the pandemic were much more resilient and were able to weather the storms. We had one client that said, "Boy, I'm so glad that we invested in culture." In our culture bank, you know, all the years prior to the pandemic, because we had to make some withdrawals. <laughs> and I thought that was a great way to describe yeah. it. Of course, labor, uh, you know, particularly um, even though I come from manufacturing, I do a lot of work in the nonprofit space right now. And and uh, there's something I mean, they're struggling. You know, we just talked with the CEO this morning that that's just the top challenge. They're going to have to rethink their priorities and strategies, just being able to find uh, the, the talent they need. So no surprise to HR folks that that's a trend. But I think the the, the, the culture and and um, and uh, and uh, engaging and retaining talent are so closely uh, aligned, as you know. And uh, and but from that we're you know finding the importance of networks uh, you know as you know in latitude and the value that uh, understanding and making sure that you continue to uh, to reinforce uh, you know building networks that's also a little bit would get us into the topic around the future of work and and remote um, we're finding that you can't build easily build an engaging and uh, and um, and strong and aligned culture if it's if you're completely remote. You know, it, it just, it's just, it's just a different animal, but there's ways of doing it, but there's, you know, I'd say those are probably the three, uh, the three biggest trends. Plus we're just seeing the rise of analytics and, uh, and luckily more and more, it's not as complex or involved as it needs to be. But, but I also see a big gap on the HR side of people having the, uh, and then understanding basic analytical things. So, so stats background and things like that could be beneficial early in a career, which I also found as well. Yeah. And the, the piece on the analytics side, you, you just have to know a little bit about it. You don't have to go and be, get a PhD in, in stats uh, or get, get another math degree. Uh, but I think to be able to understand a little bit of the data, and I think even bigger for everybody is to ask questions, right? What data to look for and what's right for me and the tools, right? How do I track that? There's a bunch of them out there. Um, yeah. So hey, before we get into some of the next questions, yep. I want to talk a little bit about what the heck is culture? Uh, you shared the Denison model to, to me. I actually yes, got to, to go get uh, dinner with Dan uh, a couple, like two months ago now. Yeah, so oh, I don't great. know if I sent that picture to you, but yeah, thanks for that. He was so fun yeah, to be in person. He's an amazing resource around culture, yes. So break break down culture. What What is that? Well, you know, a lot of people view culture as sort of this uh, enigmatic, fuzzy thing that around a business, uh, but it's not. 
you know, what, what we've learned over the years is that uh, culture is, is some very specific things. And the, the factors of culture are, are leading indicators. They are drivers of business, business results. So the question, which comes first, performance or culture? It's culture. So it has to do with, uh, so, and it involves things like having a clear and aligned mission strategy and vision for the business. It means that uh, your, your practices are consistent, uh, that you have core values that drive what you do as a business that are explicit, and it's easy to get things done. Your processes are in good shape. The third is often the one that people think about in culture, and that's the people side, but it is how, how you think about your talent, how you involve your talent, how you inform and engage your talent. And then the, the fourth one in the Denison model that I find is, is most unique is the focus on the marketplace adaptability, understanding your, your marketplace, being able to quickly change and move with changes in the marketplace. Uh, you know, so those are very concrete kinds of things that you can measure and they drive results. So talk a little bit about the, the ROI, right? Sometimes we get into, you know, the HR space and people are like, man, it's just, a, you know, HR is a cost center and it's something that, you know, I'm going to cut those costs, right? I, I, don't, I don't have the budget for this, Michael. What's your response, especially whenever it comes to culture? We don't have that in the budget. That's not a priority for us. Not at the top of our list. We're too busy. How do you go back to them in that regard? Yeah, well, it's, uh, I think around any analytics, whether it's culture or other, the, the real focus ought to be in solving business problems. Yeah. So I think from an HR standpoint, just not saying we need to do it because it's a nice thing to do or it's a popular thing to do or I just read a book about it. But what can you do? There's lots in culture that uh, that that you can you can focus on that will solve a business problem. You know, for, for example, uh, retention and engagement. There are clear, specific factors in culture that are leading indicators and drivers of engagement. And it's not things that HR owns. You know, so HR really can't be the owner of culture. That's got to be at the top of the business. And the, the business, you know, I think HR can help business leaders understand the value of, 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 of culture. But you're very right. There's a great article uh, in uh, the most recent uh, Harvard Business Review about why financial accounting is is sends us the wrong way when it comes to talent so you know i could spend an hour it rang true with me but i would recommend that take people taking a look at that because it so but that means hr needs to be looking at some other measures and understanding analytics uh you know a little a little bit more but that you know that's um uh, it, it's always a tough road to hoe, but I think if you can understand the business first and look at ways that HR can help solve business problems and provide data and guidance, you know, and I think that's what we're seeing in analytics with great data, you can get out in front of the, in front of the leaders of the business and actually prescribe things uh, from a talent standpoint that can make a difference. And I think that's, that's a little bit of different for HR folks, because we're often seen as a pair of hands. Somebody comes and says, well, go do this. We need this. Well, without any good analysis or understanding, we go do it. And then we find out, well, that wasn't the right thing. So leaders need help <laughs> on the talent yeah. side because they often they often don't have the right perspective either. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's 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 keep going into we're talking about this culture piece. You you mentioned you can't do it entirely remote. So let's talk about what is, you know, remote culture. And, you know, one of the specific questions, Michael, is what's the minimum that I need to be in the office? Is it once a year? Is it, you know, 20 minutes? What does that look like? So let's dig into remote culture and like what the minimums are that you've seen, right? Best practices. 
Yeah, so uh, a little bit of background to get us there, just what we learned through uh, going to remote. First of all, when we initially went remote, there's some big data studies that found that we became more productive, particularly within your close-in team, you know, the people you normally work with, because people leaned in, managers paid attention, and people were productive. That quickly started falling apart as soon as a new team member came along or the team's priorities changed. And then suddenly, if the team wasn't face-to-face, -face, you weren't onboarding, you weren't building team, you weren't being productive. What really started to fall apart quickly is interactions between teams. So, and that's where innovation and change comes from. You know, you, you can't sit in your own team and make a change in the organization. You have to work with other people. So we saw silos being reinforced. So how, how often should you spend time in the office? I don't know but you need to be very intentional about it. So if you're gonna go into the office, you shouldn't be going and doing work that you can do at home. Okay. You ought to be doing, when you're in the office, you ought to intentionally be in working with your team, talking about projects, priorities, particularly learning and understanding and getting to know new people on the team, and then making sure you're interacting with other teams on key business priorities. So what time does that take? It depends on the work you've got in front of it, uh, in front of you. But, you know, I, 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 saying that we're going to be completely remote and stay remote, I think is going to be a challenge to sustain, sustain culture over time, because those are the things, as you know, networks, connections, um, and being intentional about how we do that uh, is a big driver of components of, of culture, particularly uh, for, for people who are culture spreaders. And that would be executives yeah. and leaders who understand strategy, vision, and need to interpret that and to show people what role they play in that and how they can contribute. Guess what? That's the biggest engaging engagement drivers. That's what drives retention. So help solve a problem there. We have, we need to HR needs to set some guidelines, uh, you know, around that. It's it's not possible in all cases, but I mean, it's more around guidelines around intentional coming back to work versus just a policy. You know, you, yeah. you don't see policies working. We need to provide some guidelines. And a basic one is if you're in the office, you're not sitting alone at your desk. <laughs> you know, you're, you're interacting, you're building, you're focusing on projects, you're building connections. Yeah. So whenever those uh, culture spreaders, those leaders are going around and kind of, you know, walking the walk and talking the talk, I'm a big fan of the water cooler conversation. I also am a big fan, Michael, of meet one new person each month and sometimes each week, you know, and it gets to be a little bit tricky while we're remote. <clears throat> and what happens there is we learn about new career opportunities. We learn about new projects. We learn about just cool people, right? Yeah. Um, and, and actually some of my most, uh, you know, helpful and insightful mentors came that way. And they shared a lot around uh, professional guidance and career development. I know that's a big place for you. So can you share a couple of tips, insights, <clears throat> uh, thoughts around professional growth and career development? Yeah, well, to fit right in with that, uh, we now that we can actually analyze networks within a business and look at it, uh, we realize that the, the quality and diversity of networks is a big uh, predictor of career success. Yeah. So the idea that that guidance meet one new person, that is great. But I think it can also be more intentional about that. So I think one thing I often work with, and, and what we find out in terms of retaining new talent is the stronger and quicker that they build an internal network, the more likely they're gonna stay. So, you know, getting them connected, the onboarding is more than much, much more than the paperwork. <laughs> it oh, is, yes. it's socialization and very specifically connecting people with those that can help them. Uh, who can connect them to with others. 
you know, and that's what a leader becomes more now is not so much of a delegator, but a, but a, a providing guidance on, you know, if you're working on that, you ought to go talk to that person over there. Um, you know, so that being a very intentional about network uh, building uh, and you just can't sit in your uh, in your home office and build a strong network. You can. You have to be much, much more intentional about it. But there there need to be face face. We are social animals. And uh, and uh, we need to remember that some of those social components are very important for business performance and also career success. Yeah, there's there's so many things that we've been doing with Latitude over the last year that you just touched on. And it's it's exciting, right, uh, to see all these different pieces coming together. You, you, you nailed it, right? The more we can break down those silos, uh, the, the better, you know, our teams are going to be. And there's a lot of hard cost impacts, right? We're going to be more productive, more profitable. And that's whenever we go back to the leader and say, hey, you know, this is where the ROI is, right? Go back to the CFO, right? The person that says, we don't have the money for this. We don't have the money not to do this, right? And I, I think back to the cartoon, uh, you know, the, the CFO that says, man, I can't believe we're spending so much money on investing in our people. Uh, what if they leave, right? And then the CEO says, could you imagine if we didn't invest in them and they stay? I think it goes the same thing with culture, right? Yeah, and there's a, we, we've seen a disconnect around the great resignation. Uh, McKinsey did a global study. Executives said, well, people are leaving for more money and a better job. People who left said, um, I didn't feel valued. Um, I didn't have a good network. I didn't feel like I was being invested in, and I didn't trust my team or or or, or others in the organization. So I'm looking for something better. So that disconnect of what executives say, what it. So that's an important thing for, you know. I think that's a great piece of data to share. So if you're thinking we just have to pay them more, you're not. It's it, that's going to come back and bite you. So that the and culture is a lot more around. You know, lock and under having people lock and understand strategy and vision and direction. I see a role that they can play in it. They see they're invested in, and they see a set of core values playing out that yeah. are consistent. You know, those are the things that that uh, you know that executives own HR HR doesn't own. So you need leaders who do those things, and that's where competency-based talent management too. We're not looking for personalities or things like that. We're looking for people who have great skills in building networks and developing others and. Uh, you know, in, in planning and directing work and, and you know, uh, driving vision and purpose. You know, those are the real differentiators now, but always have been, but even more than in the past. Driving vision to purpose. And purpose. Like driving vision and purpose, yeah. And, and purpose. Okay. Yeah, and it, it, it's in the same cluster of competencies as driving engagement. Yeah. You know, so that those uh, those things are the are the real you know, not, I'm not going to say motivators, but I mean, skills that leaders can have to assure that they, that they can retain the talent. The other one is developing talent. And we've never been really good at that over the years. And we need to rethink and understand um, what development looks like. And development is moving around, not moving yeah. up. It's having a wide range of different experiences and it's having a very strong network before you need it. Yes, yeah, so proactively. Right yeah, proactively. So yeah, 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 if you suddenly need a network, those things don't get built overnight, so you got to build it throughout your careers. And 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 the best kind of networks are not people who are close into you; they are people who you don't normally interact with. They're people who might be very different from you in terms of background and experience. And you just can't meet them and have a cup of coffee. You got to do something meaningful with them. So volunteering for, hey, I heard about this weird project. I'm in HR. Has nothing to do with HR. I'm going to volunteer for that. Or have HR, or have HR managers say, hey new HR person, go work on that project over there. 
you know, when I was young, I said, well, wait a minute, I'm an HR person. That's not what I do. Best experience I ever had, uh, you know, working in areas that got me connected with people doing something important that had really nothing to do with talent management. But I learned, you know, I provided some kind of capability there and, uh, and, uh, and met with people and did some important work. So those are the best networks. So wow, those- very, very cool. I, lo- I love the idea of uh, doing something intentional uh, with with the individuals, and I'm a big fan of you know going to volunteer events for for networking. Uh, we'll have to give give Liz a shout out and see if there's any uh, volunteer work coming through PHRA in, in 2023 because it's it's doing good stuff. Well, we talked about the the, the cleanup day, right? Um, yeah. Even some of the work that you do. So uh, yeah, let's talk talk about some of that that work. I think that's a big passion piece of yours. Do you want to share that with some of the listeners, Michael? Oh, you mean just, uh, you know, I do a lot of work uh, volunteering for, uh, you know, f- with uh, uh, environmental causes and doing, you know, doing uh, doing cleanup activities. I'm a land steward uh, for the Conservancy, Pat Western Pennsylvania Conservancy. I just got certified as a park steward for, for the Allegheny County Parks. So we're out there doing things. But guess who I meet when I go out and work? Um, you know, it's other executives. It's people in nonprofits. It's people I've never met before, some even some high net worth individuals who say, boy, I, I like what you do. I'd like to hear more about that. You know, so uh, that's not an intentional part of my networking right now. It's just what I want to do to give back. But I think for particularly young professionals and others, thinking about opportunities to get connected with those that you don't normally work with and do something important. Yeah. That's where volunteer work in a professional organization is very valuable. You know, I I think I first joined PHRA back in the 80s. I hate to say it was that long ago, but it has always been valuable for me to be able to, if I need somebody, you know, I've, I've met them already by going to the events, or it's easy to um, to find somebody that I, that has done what I'm looking for before, and then you you create a, quite a network. Um, so yeah, I, I think any of that, if you're a, a young professional and not in a professional organization, then um, you're missing a huge opportunity for sure. Yeah, shout, shout out to PHRA for sure. <clears throat> All right, we're going to transition into the uh, quick question, rapid response sure. part of the podcast. So this is where we ask you, you know, about books. You know, I know you've written a book that's that's right, right, right behind you. So we're going to give a shout out to that one, two, three, four, five of them. Wow, that's oh, um, the same book. It's just the same. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, then, of course, if ones. you're interested in understanding that building your pipeline. Our book with Richard Citron, Strategy Driven Leadership, the playbook for developing your next generation. It summarizes all the evidence we know. Uh, but one one has been a very influential for me is a book called The Leadership Machine. Uh, HR, I think, needs to understand more about competency-based talent management, particularly, uh, you know, we, we've gone astray by, you know, focusing on other things, uh, the last shiny object. But the best evidence about how you build a pipeline, uh, this is a great book. Um, it was authored by uh, Mike Lombardo and Bob Eichinger, who I've worked with since the 80s. And it, again, it summarizes sort of everything you need to know about building a talent pipeline. So. Michael, you said competency-based competency based talent management. If you were to translate that, in other words, how would you describe that to somebody? Well, um, what we do know is uh, what behaviors are critical for leaders to be effective. The, the data is very strong now. We've been building it for years and years. Um, but uh, but uh, but we, if you can then build your talent processes, selection, uh, you know, uh, development, promotion, 
uh, around competencies that are directly tied to the strategy of the business. So what HR ought to be good at is looking at the strategy and translating that into what we need in leaders that are going to help us differentiate what we're doing. Or also trends and challenges like remote work. The competencies leaders need now are different. So be very intentional about, about translating strategy into competency-based, uh, you know, competencies, behaviors, and then help uh, making sure that every talent uh, tool that we have is focused on identifying, reinforcing, and building those competencies. It has an impact on results. You know, we get off on personality assessments and and other things that they're okay, but they account for very little when it comes to overall performance. If you do a good job on on behavior-based, focusing on behaviors, and the, and the skills associated with that, the, 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 it's just easier to do. It's easier to buy into and understand. It's something, you know, we are humans, are our behavior, we, we understand and react and can see behaviors. Personalities, you know, there's 7,000 different personality models and everybody's got a different one. And we just like to put people in categories, not helpful. I would focus in on competencies and behaviors, which we're all very good at. Yeah, uh, anytime I talk to a high-level IO psych, uh, we try and stay away from the different assessments, <laughs> and I won't. I won't even bring up the the favorite to you know uh, rag rag on. Uh, let's let's go to the next one. Um, where do you get like your your information? You mentioned HBR. You talked about the book that you've written, uh, but other people to to follow on on LinkedIn, perhaps other uh, books read, other articles, other sources of or outlets for news and updates. Um, do you guys have a blog that people can follow? Where do we get the latest and greatest information here? Yeah, so I, I try to capture that and uh, and uh, and write about it regularly on the blog. I also write for Forbes.com um, almost uh, very regularly, and that's a great source. Um, uh, there's a few organizations that are sort of on the periphery of talent management. There's a Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology, and uh, and they uh, keep track of the the top research. So I, I think you have to have an IO background to be able to join that, but, but but they have a lot of publications, they have a lot of information. There's a book that I'm reading right now called The Age of Agility uh, that's uh, published by uh, by folks who are part of PSYOP, the Society for uh, Industrial and Organizational Psychology. You can buy the books. This is what we know is that learning agility is really a biggest predictor of future uh, success. So understanding that would be that, you know, I find that stuff through PSYOP. Um, you know, the uh, getting in a network like the Denison crew, you know, the on culture, that's where I'm learning the most about uh, about that. And uh, I also spend a lot of time with the uh, the Neuro Leadership Institute that, that shows uh, that it does a lot of great work around what we're learning from neuroscience and how we can apply that to talent management. I think those are probably, you know, these ones that we probably all don't hear about, but there's a lot of great work that is out there on the, the fringes. I find those to be great networks of people, too. Uh, where you can find folks to help answer questions that you're working on. Very helpful. Uh, we added a, another fun uh, question to, to this uh, rapid fire section, and it's uh, about desk toys, right? So is there a cool desk toy that you've had or something that you you know keep on, on your desk or that you've seen uh, on somebody else's to, to share with the group here? Well, I, my family and I got into a joke about tacky um, decorations, and I made a joke about pink flamingos one time, and now my family inundates me with tacky pink flamingos and every chance they get. So I guess that's the weirdest thing I've seen, you know, on my own desk uh, anyway. I haven't been to many other people's offices lately to see weird stuff, but that's my weird stuff. Please don't send me any more. 
next next conference, we'll make sure to have pink flamingos uh, for for Michael. All right, last question to to wrap up. Uh, you know, you've you've been in PHRA since the '80s. You've you know had a lot of success in this space. We talked a lot about culture and the behaviors around it today. What's one piece of advice that you'd give to the younger Michael Couch? Yeah, I think that's the idea. Think about what a, what a, a successful career is may not be what you think it is. It is moving around. It's not moving up. You know, to, to a variety of different experiences in different areas with different people that you may not have interacted before. You know, you could talk any any successful executive and ask them to describe things in their past that made a difference. And it was a challenging experience that they navigated or an important other pe person that made a difference in them. So I would say make sure you're intentional about not always being in your comfort zone. You got to try some experiences that are going to stretch it, maybe uncomfortable, but you're going to survive it, but you're going to learn. And then, like we talked before, the network, being very intentional about building a network of, uh, of folks that you can, you can um, ahead of time, so you can tap in when you need to based on whatever you're trying to accomplish. Intentional focus on culture to proactively drive performance and flamingos. <laughs> and we talked through the competency, vision, purpose, and engagement before, during, and after our remote work. Michael, thanks so much. Uh, it's great to have you here. And um, we'll see you at an event in person soon, my friend. You bet. You bet. Always great interacting with you, Pete. People do matter. And at the end of the day, we cannot get any work done if we don't have the right people in place. Are your people connected? Latitude is the one-stop shop people connection software platform. Our software workshops and programming facilitate new employee onboarding, manager 101s, stay interviews, mentorship programs, and peer networking to increase retention, engagement, satisfaction, productivity, profitability, and happiness. Imagine a technology that intersects your calendar with LinkedIn, Zoom, Google Docs, and your CRM. Contact Latitude today to schedule a conversation. The PHRA P4 podcast was created to help build HR readers through discussions with thought and business leaders on the most critical success factor of any business, its people. If you enjoy an episode, please help us spread the word by subscribing to the podcast and providing us a rating. We would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode, tag PHRA, and share it with your followers. Until next time, thank you.